All right, and good morning once again, everybody, and welcome back to the Kanika Daily Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Kenny, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, my beautiful wife, Nika. Good morning, Nika. Oh, good morning, Kenny. Good morning to our new and returning listeners and all the baseball fans. How is everybody doing? I'm great. I can't speak for our listeners, but I'm great. Well, we had a wonderful night of baseball, and we have a wonderful show ahead for you today. No Max today. Max gets his Wednesday day off, so in lieu of that, Nika and I will be taking you around the festivities from last night's games, and as we do so, we're going to kind of check in on each team and uh, a couple things going on with them. So, without further ado, let's start looking at these games from last night. And, uh, well, number one up there is the Orioles and Blue Jays. And the Orioles just continue to reign dominance on the Blue Jays this year. That is four for four. They swept them earlier in Toronto, and they just continue to beat up on them in Baltimore now. Last night, putting up 11 runs. That's a lot. Six runs in the third inning. I was uh, touting Chris Bassett, I believe, on yesterday's episode. And yes, you got have. torched in this one, folks. Torched. The big blow came off the bat of Gunner. Henderson, he hit a grand slam in that third inning. Gunnar Henderson is tearing it up, folks. He has been for the last few games or few since Sunday because <laughs> well, that's yeah, where he's, it all started for him. He, he's got three home runs in his last three games, and he is also hitting just monster numbers, though. He has 13 hits in his last 25 at-bats. That is good enough for a 520 batting average in his last seven games. So this is his last week, basically. His on-base can't get really much better than that because he's only walked once, but it's 538, and his slugging is 1.040. That is off the charts. When you start to look at OPS, you know, when a guy is hitting for an OPS of 1,000, it's generally considered ridiculously good. Mm-hmm. Just looking at this on-base plus slugging situation here, we would have somebody that's like at 1580. That is way high. Gunnar Henderson crushing baseballs and, and just not only hitting the ball, but hitting the ball very hard. The man has a power. He's not a rookie. He's been yeah, around for a few power. years. He hit that ball the other day on Sunday. It was the farthest ball that's ever been hit to right field in Baltimore because it, it left the stadium completely. It landed on what's called Yuri Street, but it's like it's really weird pronunciation, like this old Indian name or something. Okay. Mammoth home run. They say it's the longest that's ever been hit out there. So yeah, he can hit the ball very hard and far. I like to see him coming into uh, his own a little bit here as a young player. He's only 21 years old, folks. Do you think he had like two choices in his career? You either were going to be a military man or a uh, baseball player with the name Gunner Henderson. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Do you think like on his 12th birthday, they were like, listen here, son. Those are the For two possible reasons. To either join the military or to become a baseball player. <laughs> Gunner Randall Henderson. Montgomery, so, Alabama. So, It's an awesome um, baseball name. It is a great baseball name. Definitely top five in the league. Yeah. And, you know, only 21 years old. He's going to be there for a while. I don't know if there's going to be many gunners coming up. I guess we will have to wait and watch. He played 34 games last year. I don't know if that makes him a true rookie this year or not. So that's kind of interesting. I don't think I he I kind of count him as a rookie. He has 92 games in his career. So he's definitely not played a full season to this point. He's through his first 300 at bats. He has 14 home runs. So... Definitely showing some power. 462 slugging. 
I think that will continue to improve. As you can see, it's it's already going up this year. So he's young. Very yeah, he's young. very young. He's not even grown into his body yet. Yeah. You know, he's a well-rounded star for the Orioles for coming years. Yeah. I mean, it looks like he's going to finish with like 20 or 25 homers. You know, like this is the kind of guy we might might see sneak into the home run derby this year potentially when you're hitting those mammoth shots gunner henderson keep hitting baseballs sir and keep hitting them long and far okay well next up i had red sox and rockies okay uh the rockies once again win late i don't know what's going on over there uh, it looked misty again did the rockies bring the rain dance again, again? three <laughs> nights in a row um, well, the big star for Colorado in this one was Elias Diaz. He was rocked in the face over the weekend in the Padres game. He was actually removed from the game. But since then, he's been like kind of crushing baseballs in Boston. So he needs to pick it up. He's not doing very well on this. That was the only game that went to extra inning. They went to 10 innings. Yeah. And it seems to be a reoccurring thing for the Rockies. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Well, I would like to inform the American League that despite Boston's losing, they should be aware of Rafael Devers right now. He has four home runs in his last seven games. Uh, he had two home runs last night. He now has 17 on the season. Along with 56 RBIs, he has passed Jordan Alvarez for the league lead in RBIs, if I if my math is correct. He's so. a player that always comes in later in a season that picks up steam. He gets hot at the right moment. He does. He goes through these stretches, yes. So he is now the league leader at RBI uh, with 56. So congratulations, Raphael. Hopefully you can keep it up. Yeah. He is listed at six foot 235, by the way. That that seems like a high weight for that height, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. He does not look that to me, but okay. Well, I have him at six feet 240 here, so who knows? All right, so the Rockies will go for the sweep, I think, today. We will be watching it. We will. Next game was on the docket, Mets and Yankees. This was the Subway Series game one. Well, a couple of things going on in this one. The Yankees uh, won a close one, seven to six. Their bullpen really came through and got it done. They shut the Mets down, gave up nothing. Six, seven, eight, nine inning, mm -hmm. zeros. So good job to the Yankees bullpen. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run. I think that's the first one he's hit since he's come back from injury list yes. um, so probably a welcome sight for Yankees fans especially with Mr. Aaron Judge on the disabled list right now I would agree with that and the young shortstop Anthony Volpe really struggling at the dish batting in the 100s uh, had a couple of hits last night a couple doubles probably a welcome sight for Yankees fans as well everybody wants this kid to succeed and, and he's really young, 22 years old. So obviously, I think the Yankees are going to give him every opportunity to do that. He's currently batting 191 on the season. So he definitely needs to push it up. He should be hitting at least 200 to be in the majors. Yes, and he's a rookie. So you've got to give him a little bit of a slack here. Absolutely. But the big story in this one was in the, uh, I believe, the seventh inning here. Is that what I'm reading? Drew Smith. A pitcher for the Mets came out to pitch the seventh inning, and he never even got to fire a pitch and was ejected. He was ejected by the crew chief, Bill Miller, it looks like. He stopped Drew Smith on his way in from the bullpen and checked his hands, and the congregation formed. All of a sudden, all the umpires are over there, and all the players start to come over, see what's going on. Buck Showalter comes out, Mets manager, and he gets ejected. 
and he doesn't know what's going on. He says he's got sweat and rosin on his hands, and that's it. This is the same answer that, that Max Scherzer gave back in April when it happened to him. Okay. I would like to ask, when a pitcher would say, like, yes, I have extra stuff on my finger. When did that ever happen? Yeah, I, I've never seen anyone say, like, well, yeah, I guess I did have a little too much. My bad. Right. Never happened. And to be fair, all the umps check his hands. All, so it wasn't just yeah, one. It wasn't. It was a unanimous decision, it seems like. And I think, honestly, that's how the it should be handled. I think the umps handled it right. You know, like, yeah. if one guy is suspicious, it shouldn't automatically mean that the pitcher's guilty. But if there's like a unanimous like four ump jury, yeah, this is too much. Like this is this is ridiculous or something. There must have been a lot of it because they didn't even tell him go wash your hands. A lot of times they let you go yeah. wash your hands. And this was just no you are out. And so now he faces ten day ten game suspension or ten day suspension. Yeah. Well I, I found a few quotes from the parties involved. Sure. To run past you. But Drew Smith himself said Quote, my hands weren't sticky. The process is so arbitrary, it can change from one crew to the other. I think that's the main issue. It just sucks for the team not having a guy for 10 days. So there's an MLB policy that basically says if you get this 10-game suspension as a pitcher, that they cannot fill your roster spot with another player. So basically, the Mets have to ride a player short for these 10 games. And it's a really big deal because, A, the Mets <laughs> Mets are really struggling a lot lately, and their pitching is hurting at the moment. So they are going to feel this loss as well. I, I, it was yeah. a ill-timed ejection with this mandatory 10-game suspension that comes with it. So now the crew chief here, Bill Miller, he said after the game, I don't know what it was, quote, I just know it was sticky. <laughs> so now Smith is sticking to the story that it's like rosin and sweat. And they also they also got Max Scherzer on a hot mic last night after the game, and, and he offered a little uh, bit of opinion where he said, we're all angry about this one. And I think, you know, he says, if you feel his hand, you don't feel anything. So obviously there's a little bit of a difference of opinion here between some of the Mets pitchers and the umpires and stuff. And and this is now the second time this has happened to them. I find it hilarious because Buck Showalter famously accused Joe Musgrove last year of going to his ear or something during the Padres postseason game where he was just dealing Oh, I remember. He not even only checked his hands. He kind checked of embarrassing his hair. On national TV, though, you know. Hair. I remember they even checked Scherzer one time like that because they made him take his belt. Mm -hmm. And it was like, are you going to ask me to take my pants off next moment? But yes, with Masgro, it was really out there because what's his name? Show Walter. Walter came in and made yeah. like he made a, a spectacle point. of it yeah so and i think he had him checked twice right yeah, i think so it yeah. was bizarre so now now the fact that it's happened to his team twice where it's resulted in the ejection i'm sorry i don't feel sorry for you i think that's maybe some baseball karma coming that back to bite you you know yep so i just think that's ironic and the mets again their struggles continue they're any easier today with garrett cole no and I, I know he's going to be up for this game. So there's this matchup worth watching: Cole versus Verlander, two star pitchers. That game, by the way, 
gets started at 710 Eastern. So that will be a primetime uh, affair this evening. Definitely will be promoted as such. It will be. All right. Well, next up for me was Brewers Twins. And the big story in this one was Carlos Correa. After hitting a big grand slam in Toronto over the weekend, he hit a walk-off home run in this one to win it for the Twins, who are just hanging around at 500 at the top of the AL Central standings. But yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about Mr. Correa for a second. He's kind of a hot topic in baseball. Obviously, he had the merry-go-round off-season circus of like being signed by the Giants, then being signed by the Mets, and then eventually landing back with the Twins, who kind of took a flyer on him the year before. So that was all interesting. And now after struggling really badly out of the gate this season. He is starting to show signs of life over the past uh, couple weeks uh, of maybe getting out of a long-term slump here. You know, this was his first walk-off home run in the regular season in his whole career. Yeah. Crazy. So obviously probably a good moment for him. I I heard some people say it was his biggest hit since being on the Twins, you know. Well, good for Um, Carlos. Yeah. Like, don't wish ill will upon people in the MLB. I I find his little what time is it home run trot to be a little annoying. He did it last night. Apparently, when he hit the walk-off homer, he looked into the dugout and he tapped his watch. What time is it? And it's like, man, you've been struggling all year. Like, maybe just show some humility until you get your swagger back. But it's like, oh, yeah, walk-off winner. I got to celebrate. So... Oh, I, I see it. I see it. I, I just pulled it up, that video. It's it's a 30-second video. You can find it online. Yeah. Yes, he's pointing at his uh, watch. I have no idea, by the way. Uh, I'm looking at his bio on MLB, and it says his nickname is I Am Groot. I, I have no idea how Carlos Correa got that nickname. Apparently, he's a guardian of the galaxy. <laughs> All right. Well, he's a guardian of the twins at the moment. He is. And over his last week, he is hitting at a 276 average, which is about 50 points higher than his seasonal average right now. Maybe even a little bit more. But he has three homers in that time, eight RBIs, eight hits, five runs scored, and uh, a couple walks. So so showing some signs. Still probably striking out a little bit too much for people's tastes, a little bit over 33%. So you generally want to get that down, you know, into the 20s as a power hitter, mm-hmm. maybe even lower if you can. Obviously, you don't want to strike out at all, but no. it's not baseball realism. Well, since we are talking about Twins and Brewers, Brewers are on the other side, and they are losing. They lost five games in a row. They lost to the A's, and now they're losing to the Twins. Yeah, this is interesting because I haven't necessarily followed their team as closely as some of the others. And and Milwaukee, without insulting their their team too much they just don't scream like sexy on paper you know like they don't have these big name guys with swagger you know Christian Yelich has kind of fallen off from where he was much similar to maybe Cody Bellinger Mm -hmm. this seems to be a kind of a recurring trend within baseball too where guys come into the league and set the world on fire and then they just kind of fall off and and they can't find it back three guys we've talked about but with regards to the Brewers right now yeah five in a row they've kind of allowed Pittsburgh to now reclaim the lead in that division and and they seem shaky you know we're going to talk about them in a minute but yeah tough to lose to the A's it's got to be a confidence breaker and the only thing I want to say about the Brewers is we were kind of worried about them going into the season and then they kind of surprised us 
and and they were pitching and playing really well as a team. But we were worried about them going into the season because Corbin Burns kind of had this ugly arbitration with upper management where he kind of said something along the lines of like, well, at least I know where they value me or something like that. And I, I was concerned about that because this is an an ace-level quality pitcher, as we've seen, and probably the leader, one of the leaders on that team, you know, and then you you put that person in a position where they're not necessarily, like, all in love with the team right now, and you just wonder if that is going to wear off on other players, and now you lose to the A's. It'll be interesting to see where Milwaukee ends up, especially, as we'll talk about later, when you have teams like Cincinnati that are kind of up and coming right now and playing with energy and enthusiasm and that division just seems ripe for the taking all right well moving on speaking of suckage the cardinals continue to play terrible they're back to their losing ways after they kind of showed some signs of life after they had this big meeting team meeting i don't know if y'all remember that but they are back to last place in the central and i don't know if they ever really got out but they've lost four in a row now again and they are playing really bad to the Giants. The Giants beat them again last night, but the big story in this one was actually for the Giants. Mitch Haniger, their hometown kid who signed a big contract in the offseason to sign with them, he now has a fractured right arm. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah, fractured yeah, right, right forearm. forearm. He was hit by a pitch in the third inning last night by Jack Flaherty and, and broke his arm. So we see yet another hand arm injury due to a inside pitch from a pitcher. I, I think it's becoming a bigger, a bigger and bigger problem. You see Corbin Carroll the night before taking two balls off off of his forearms like one on the inside and one on the outside and rough you know like they got to be careful absolutely have to be and i don't think we want to live in a world where these guys are going up with full arm guards and like hand guards everything that's gonna hinder they're gonna look like robots and Mm -hmm. like it's gonna affect their swings absolutely all that extra weight i I think this is this is what you've been always saying location is the key but for some reason now, we are all focusing on velocity and how fast the pitcher can pitch. I understand you need fastballs in the game, but the new kids that are coming up as pitchers, they got to get the mechanics right. They cannot be just beaming guys right and yeah, left. They have to. Well, as a result of this injury, the Giants have now called up one of their prospects who is highly touted. His name is Luis Matos and he is 21 years old. He turned 21. I'm looking here like just before the season started, I think just before spring training. So he is a newbie. He was promoted in May to AAA Sacramento a Stadium. We've driven past by a friendly note. Um, But anyways, he is lighting on fire, folks. 43 for 108 at the plate. Seven home runs, two triples, eight doubles, and seven walks in that time. He's also got some speed. He stole six bases and seven attempts during that time. And this is all the Pacific Coast League. So those are great numbers for the Pacific Coast League is what I'm told. Uh, So he will be joining the Giants. And the Giants are playing better than I think people imagined. So we'll see how this affects their team. Definitely going to watch the game tonight and check him out. Give you guys a little report back. Good idea. I keep an eye on this kid. And uh, wishing Mitch Haniger to get well soon. Quick recovery, yes. Yes, sir. So moving right along, though, to the Windy City, the Cubs 
just destroyed the Pirates all of a sudden out of nowhere. The Cubs seem to be one of the most wishy-washy teams in all of baseball. But yeah, scoring 11 runs last night, defeating the Pirates 11-3. to And Ian Happ had a nice game for the Cubs, but I wanted to point out young Christopher Morrell hit another home run. And well, he is showing some signs of life. He had been in a really bad slump in his last couple of weeks, but seems to maybe look like he's coming out of it it's it's funny because he hasn't even played 30 games yet this year and he has now hit 11 home runs it's still pretty remarkable the one thing that is really promising here is in his last seven games he has 19 at bats and only two strikeouts and one of the biggest knocks on christopher morrell right now is his strikeout rate and you can see over the last 30 games he has 31 strikeouts and 90 at bats and that is like almost a one for three strikeout rate, 33.3%. So pretty high. But in the last seven games, he only has two and 19 at bats. So that's a lot better, you know, now small sample size, but when you have a young player like this and he's called up to the big leagues and like he still has things that he's working on Mm -hmm. like you don't know what the coaches are telling him behind the scenes and what he's working on I don't think the Cubs have high expectations for management this year for the team other than to just be entertaining for their fans and like you know look play your best obviously Mm -hmm. the NL is wide open this year so if we can make the playoffs we might as well but it is situations like this early in the season where you coach and train somebody like Christopher Morrell. You might start to see dividends come at the end of July, August, September when you need them. So I want to keep an eye on it. I want to see him keep that strikeout rate down and be an impact player for this Cubs team and not just like a flash in the pan. Okay. We're moving right along here, folks. But next up on the docket, I have Angels and Rangers. And the Angels win again 7-3, to two in a row in Texas. I got to be honest, I was a little bit surprised by this win from the Angels. I felt like they had that big dramatic win the night before with Otani's two home runs. And I just felt like Texas was going to want to come out and make a statement. And to be fair, they did. They did. They they kind of took an early three to one lead in this one. Mm-hmm. But the Angels just not going away. Why would they? <laughs> they want to win as well. Yeah, I, I feel like Texas, if they look back on this game, they will probably see there was some opportunities to score more runs that they wish they could have back. Um, oh, for sure. And you have to tip your hat to the Angels defense. You know, the Mickey Moniak, mm-hmm. who has really stepped up for the Angels, by the way. If you don't know this kid, you should look him up. Mickey Moniak made an amazing catch last night for the Angels to take away a home run. So great defense and then getting it done with timely hitting. Man, I want to talk about who else? Otani. Otani, a secret stealthy box score last night. Two for two with three walks on base all five times, scoring a couple runs. I want to point out Otani's last week. Okay. He's batting over 300 during his last month. But this last week for him has been ridiculous. He is batting 464. He has... 13 hits and 28 at-bats, 7 runs scored, 4 homers, 8 runs driven in. He's slugging a 1,000, and he also has 5 walks and 3 stolen bases. Doing it all, folks. I guess he doesn't necessarily field. He doesn't play a fielding position, but um, I don't think anyone's going to say he doesn't have a good arm. He's got a great arm. Also, Mike Trout wasn't playing yesterday. He had a day off, regularly scheduled day off. There's nothing wrong with him. That's weird, though. Like, well, that's me, what they said. I, I get it, but you know, you're also playing Texas. It's a big moment for your team. And I don't know. Maybe he had something scheduled. I I don't know. It was said that he had a day off. Nothing to concern yourself with, really. So, 
Okay. Angels uh, win, angels regardless. Win. Angels win. Crisis averted. No, no harm, no foul, right? Exactly. So Otani, though. It's so funny to me because this whole article came out about the fatigue and pitching, and we talked about that yesterday. But during the last month, and particularly the last two weeks and the last week, he's just killing baseballs, folks. Killing them. All right, we are moving right along to another hot team, the Reds and Royals. The Reds continue to get it done. They have now won four in a row. They have won seven of their last ten, and they are now within a game and a half of the Brewers and two and a half games of the Pirates for the lead in the NL Central. The Cincinnati Kids, as Max calls them. Yes, the Cincinnati Kids. I brought up Ellie De La Cruz because I th- I feel like he's brought a huge energy to the team since he joined them last week. You can disagree with that. Look at what happened to the Reds. They are continue to produce. They are playing team baseball. Well, he's been up for eight games now. Mm-hmm. And like I said, in their last 10, they're seven and three. So you can do the math. They've won four in a row. I believe they lost the finale to the Dodgers, but they won the first two before that, right? Yes. So that's four out of six. And then now they've won oh. two out of two in Kansas City. So I don't think they won the two games, though, before Ellie De La Cruz was called up. That's kind of what I was trying to get at with the math. But nevertheless, you cannot argue that he's had an impact. His first eight games in the majors, he has eight hits and 30 at-bats, eight runs scored, good for a two sixty-seven batting average. He has a home run, and he has four runs driven in, and also five stolen bases uh, a huge threat on the base pads like one week in and you stole five he came here with some purpose now Mm -hmm. i want to point out something a little bit alarming about the young man he is 21 but he has struck out 14 times in 30 at bats that is almost 50 percent buddy and this was a big concern for him in the minors right now and again You're talking about somebody who is very, very young, but that's also is a concern. Now, I don't think he's going anywhere right now because the team seems energized by his presence. But I do think, as with all young players that come up, he's hitting 267. That's definitely not a bad clip, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to criticize where there's no need to criticize. However, I want to just prepare people mentally that he might have some struggles this season. He might have periods of struggles. It could be very similar to what's happening with Christopher Morell right now. We we could see him being coached behind Mm -hmm. the scenes and having to work through adjustments. And we know every player needs to make that second adjustment at times because the league adapts to you and figures you out a little bit. So every player has to go through this I'm looking forward to seeing the journey of the young man, and and I want to see if the Reds can make the playoffs. I, I think he adds such an energy to the game. I don't think anyone would deny that they've been energized by this kid's presence on the team. He's definitely energetic. He definitely brings a lot of positive vibes into the team. Absolutely. All right. Well, the Reds making moves. The Astros continuing to find ways to win uh, while they are playing the lowly Nationals right now, at least lowly for them. The Astros are playing without Jordan Alvarez right now, who was the RBI leader up until yesterday. So he is having an oblique issue right now after he he had had something else wrong with him i think his back earlier this year he went to see a specialist about it actually or or it might have been a neck thing well it's another issue for the astros who are already kind of like hurting with their starting pitching staff this year um but uh, i did want to highlight one player jose abreu a uh, former white Sox player and the big kind of off-season signing for the astros he was really slumping 
at, mm-hmm. especially with power. He hadn't hit any home runs. And then he kind of hit a, a home run a couple weeks ago, if you'll remember. And he, he sprinted around the bases. Like he ran so damn fast. It has to be the fastest home run trot in years. He got energized after that. And I think this is his first team after being with the White Sox for so long. Yeah. You got to give him a little bit of slack to adjust to new teammates, to a new coaching and all that stuff. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you can time. see that the piano has come off his back, mm-hmm. per se, if he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders um, since hitting that home run. Over his last, well, I guess over his last seven games, his batting average is up 85 points from where it was at previously. And he has two home runs more in that time. So he's now has three on the season and he's driven in seven runs, nine hits and 29 at bats. So the Astros will definitely need him to keep hitting while Jordan is out. But yeah, they, they continue to, they gain ground, you know, because the Angels beat the Rangers. So Houston is now three and a half back. The Angels, four and a half back. It's getting tighter in that league. It's getting tighter, folks. All right. Well, the next game on my docket was the Padres and Guardians. And well, I want to talk about Gary Sanchez. Six home runs in 13 games for the Padres. This could be a monumental moment that turned their season around. And it's amazing to think about a guy that was written off by the Mets. How bad do the Mets want this Gary Sanchez right now? I don't know, but they might. They it can't have wonder what was happening there. Nevertheless, some teams, some guys just fit in better with other teams, I guess. And Location, different team, different environment, all plays into it. Yeah, absolutely. Gary Sanchez, in his short tenure this season with the Padres, he is 12 for 47, so batting only 255, not like lighting the world on fire, but he has six home runs, 15 RBIs, three walks, and nine runs scored for the Friars during this time period. I think compared to what we were getting from Austin Nola, it's night and day. I We've spoken at length about Austin Nola on the podcast in our previous episodes, mm-hmm. but in case you're unfamiliar, Austin Nola got hit in the face with a pitch in spring training. And he has just clearly not been the same psychologically since that happened, uh, at least in my eyes. Now, Austin Nola didn't light the world on fire or anything before this, but I I clearly see like he is more lost at the plate. It's a tough situation for the Padres to be in. And I think they've found a great player in Sanchez to still allow Nola to catch at times because you can easily slot Gary into the DH role at times, uh, especially with Nelson Cruz having being out right now. So we'll see how that situation develops. I feel really bad for Austin Nola, but at the same time, the, the world doesn't stop because something bad happens to you. I think we all know that in our own ways, in our own lives. And so our hearts go out to Austin Nola, but our brains go out to Gary Sanchez because we need that offense right now. And he's helped lift this whole team up. The game must go on. And Fernando Tatis Jr. hits another home run and continues to I hope make a push into the all-star team for this team you know I I told you earlier but I just kind of want to bring it up to the listeners I I think it's amazing that you can have two wrist surgeries a shoulder surgery miss an entire season and do what he's doing right now and I know it's easy to get caught up in it he's playing so good in the outfield too I I don't want to take anything away from that and the best is yet to come folks I, I don't know what to say This is after missing a year and having these three surgeries I just told you about. So what's he going to be like after, you know, and and the best part about it is he looks healthy, you know, and I'm going to knock on all the wood that I can, you know, that he stays that way. The Padres, who were, I believe, five or six games below 500 recently, have now closed within two games of 500. 
And in the ever awful NL wildcard race, they are now two and a half games out of the wildcard spot. Miami slipping. They've lost a couple in a row to the Mariners. And that's where we will head next. We have the Mariners defeating the Marlins again. A couple things to highlight in this one. Luis Arise has slipped all the way down to 382. I don't think he had to have a hit in five. He is like oh for his last nine. Oh, nine. After leaving Chicago. I just don't think he likes the West Coast. Well, it certainly appears that way, but, you know, this just speaks to how difficult it is to hit 400, you know? Two bad days in your life, you're looking at an uphill battle. Now, I do want to point out that he has dipped this low before recently and, and was able to push back up mm-hmm. above again. So certainly is possible. And it just takes a lot of work. The, the more difficult thing is the longer the the more bats there are now the longer it's going to take to push it back up that high and you have to be more consistent with that too so he really needs to turn it around in a hurry if he Mm -hmm. wants to have any chance of getting back up to 400 this year yeah i i'm rooting for the guy i hope he does it but nevertheless it doesn't take away he's batting 382 folks like that still is ridiculous we should all be like cheering on his whole style of play he's the betting leader in all MLB. He is, in my opinion. He is with his numbers. He's number one well, right I, now I in the it, season. There's people that would say, like, well, Judge is more valuable. Otani's more valuable because they hit home runs and those okay. are worth more. They turn the games around. And I, I get those arguments, but I like Luis Arise's approach. I like guys that hit. He definitely puts the ball in play. The Mariners won a couple in a row after uh, falling to 10 games back, but their one for four hitters were 0 for last night. They did not get a hit. Another sort of wishy-washy team, in my opinion, this year with their offense. And, and obviously, I don't think Julio got off to the start he wanted to get off to this year. He's been showing signs of playing a lot better, finding his power swing and stuff, but still. Is that enough? I don't think the Mariners can compete in this division, unfortunately. You you see it happen every year. You see teams that were, were there last year, and you expect them to be there again this year. And then they, they don't. Just, they're just not there, though. Mm-hmm. The other teams got way better than them, and, and people didn't see it coming, like the Rangers. We saw it coming with the Rangers because we knew that their farm system was dynamite, and you're seeing the, the fruits of it now. The problem with the Rangers, not to get back on that for a second, is that their bullpen continues to be suspect and we saw it last night they couldn't hold the lead so that's um, the same problem the diamond bags might run into yeah so that's a good transition over to that game we had phillies and d-backs now this one was a laugher after the huge uh fireworks the night before and again when we see guys landing on the dl for a month for six weeks with hand and wrist injuries because they got hit by pitchers it got a pitch with more control guys you got to you know, we Blake Schnell, he did it to Bryce Harper last year. Put him out for a long time. Yeah. So it's not anything you should be messed around with. You, you definitely have to pitch inside. It's part of the game, but you got to do it with control. I think that's that's the problem right now. You can't be careless. You mm-hmm. cannot be careless. They bring out these young rookies, younger and younger every year to pitch, and they aren't fully developed as a yeah. pitcher yet. And we see what happens. A lot of people get hurt. Well, 15-3 to was the final last night in that Phillies-Diamondbacks game. So after the fireworks from the night before, I think the Phillies didn't think the fight was over, I guess. They just came out with their fighting Phil's faces on. And Schwarber, right away, home run. He's Uh, like, I got this (laughs) in the first inning. And they, they really didn't slow down. 
So no. that's, that's all I got in this one. Uh, I, I was kind of expecting a heated series. Fizzled. It a fizzled a little bit. The Phillies seem to have kind of, even though they lost the night before, they are playing, I think, at a higher level right now. They jumped out to a big lead against the Diamondbacks, and their coach had to get ejected to get them fired up to get them back in the game. Um, I don't know. I, I wanted to see more intensity from the Diamondbacks last night. That might come today. We'll see. All right. Got two more games left to get through here for you folks. Um, but I want to start with the Dodgers and White Sox. Kind of a snooze fest in this one, to be honest. The Dodgers scored four off of White Sox starter Lance Lynn in the first. <laughs> and this one was pretty much over. Yeah. Uh, the White Sox scored a lone run in the ninth inning. That's it. Dodgers <laughs> scored one more in the fifth. I'm sorry, in the sixth. So uh, this one ended 5-1. to one. Tony Gonsolin started for the Dodgers. Must have been a welcome sight for Dodgers fans going six innings without giving up a run, uh, especially with their pitching woes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been really slacking on our injury report for you guys, but Julio... Urias on the Dodgers has had a setback with his recovery. He may not pitch before the end of the month now, and he was supposed to be back already. So the Dodgers continue to be beleaguered by starting pitching. (laughs) For all their struggles with pitching, they seem to always bring rookie pitchers that replace the people that get hurt, and they are performing spectacularly well. The Dodgers absolutely have one of the best farm systems in baseball. I think most people would tell you that, and they continue to do it. So yep. we'll, we'll keep an eye on this situation with the Dodgers. But they win 5-1. to one. Uh, I don't think the White Sox can put up much of a fight in this series against them. No, I don't think so. And today they are starting Kershaw against Clevenger. Rock and roll Clevenger. Probably going to get rocked. Probably. All right. Well, I just want to point out one last thing before we move on to our last game. But Lance Lynn not having a great season for the White Sox. You know, he was on Team USA earlier this year in the World Baseball Classic. And everyone always uses that as an excuse. He's not a young man. He is 36. But Lance Lynn is struggling. He has a astronomical whip, 1.61 in his last seven starts. And that is not good. His ERA, 6.63. Uh, 38 innings pitched, giving up 45 hits, 28 earned runs. That all adds up to not a good for the White Sox. He is supposed to be one of their anchors of their starting pitching, and that just hasn't been there. Nope. I think Lance Lynn is close to being done in his career. As a retiring? Uh, yeah, 36 years old, 6 ERA now for more than a season. You just got to wonder if the White Sox couldn't do better or if a change of scenery is what he needs. Do you Maybe. Think he might get moved uh, Maybe I was a, a relief pitcher. Yeah. yeah, I think he might be a rental player. I think a team might take a flyer on him. Mm-hmm. I really hope it's not the Padres. <laughs> I don't want to see him on the Padres. No. I, I, I just don't. Okay. Noted. Let's yeah. send the note. Not a Lance Lynn fan. Sorry, Lance. It's uh, okay. Good luck to you. Yep. All right. So, well, that's going to bring us to the final game of our evening. But this is a multifaceted story, so we saved this one for the end. Where do you want to start with this one, Nika? We're talking about A's and Rays. A's have won seven consecutive games right now. Well, yeah. So first off, the A's won again last night. Against the Tampa. Against Tampa. They won their second in a row against the league's best team. Best team in the league and played the worst team in the league, who actually is not the worst team anymore because Kansas City took that. There's probably people that would debate about that, but... Not the numbers. The The winning percentage... Mm-hmm. is 275 over in Oakland and 269 in KC. So Oakland, for the moment, better. For the moment. For the moment. 
Now, I really can't explain this winning streak by Oakland other than to say that it's, it's got to be some kind of intervention by the proverbial baseball gods because they've now won seven in a row, two against Tampa, and all of this is going on in the midst of like a huge team drama with fans, city, and moving the team to Las Vegas. So if you weren't aware, the A's are drawing nothing this year. Their average attendance is below 8,000 a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about the team moving to Las Vegas. Well, that's um, been on their mind probably beginning of this season, if not even before way sooner, that. Way I would guess. This seems to be uh, something that's been in the making for a while with uh, Oakland's ownership. And this is someone named John Fisher, and they're run by what is John Fisher and David Cavall. And so they are the ones that are basically in charge of this whole push to move the Oakland A's to Las Vegas. Right now, they are in the Nevada state legislature yep. debating cool. legislation mm-hmm. to fund a potential baseball stadium on the Las Vegas Strip. It would be part of one of the casinos there. I I, I forget which one off the top of my head, but... I think it was at Tropicana, somewhere in yes, the Tropicana. the Tropicana Hotel and Casino in Vegas. And this would be a 30,000-seat stadium on the Strip, probably with hotel rooms that you could watch the games from and all sorts of uh, fancy, fun stuff. If you, I, I would guess they want to go all out with like the Las Vegas experience yeah. at a baseball game. It's so. a touristy attraction, so they are banking on the fact that there's always people in Vegas that will have an easier access to the stadium and a hotel and a mm-hmm. casino as a whole experience of Vegas. Yes, and you can see also the appeal from the standpoint that uh, the Golden Knights won, they won the Stanley Cup last night, and they have a kind of proven that you can bring a franchise into Vegas. You know, now from what I've heard and read, that they went about it in a much better way, and and they are seeing the fruits of their labor from all the work they did to build that fan base up before they even brought the team there. Mm -hmm. So anyways, the Oakland fans themselves seem to be more on the side that like they don't like the owner and that's why they're not supporting the team and they want him to sell the team. They want to keep the A's and they kind of made a emphatic plea, I guess, a a public plea last night to the world. They they showed up in droves last night. It was Uh, over 28,000 people that showed up. And a, a large majority had on these green shirts that said sell on it. And they are wanting the owner to sell the team. They feel like the people of Oakland deserve much better. So that they came up and did this protest. They all stood up in the fifth inning and stood in silence for a few moments before they began to chant sell the team in unison. So they made their, their voices known. I, I don't think it's going to change anything. I think the A's are moving to Las Vegas. I think it's too late, a little too late for that intervention. I will point out one thing that they were supposed to get a new stadium in Oakland, and that was just taking way too long to get it built. And I think that might have started this whole Vegas move. I think it's one of those situations where... You can't really point finger on one thing. It's probably multiple things that happened, but that's part of a problem that A's were facing. It's one of those things where, like, when you aren't getting what you want from your your partner, and in this case, like, the Oakland ownership group wasn't getting what they wanted from the city of mm-hmm. Oakland. You know, it's it's probably hard to turn your feelings around on that. It's a it's a very much a feeling thing. As much as you want it to be level headed and always about business, once you make a decision to do something, it's very hard to change your mind. 
So I think the fact that they've already made the decision to move to Vegas, to me, shows me that they're not going to suddenly show up today and be like, oh, all these people came to our game last night. And it's not going to matter. So bad for the fans. The one thing I will say, and I think it would be a great compromise, but I don't think it's going to happen, and which, which would be for them to leave the Oakland A's name behind and not take the athletics name to Vegas and instead change it to the aces or, or something like I, I I even said the Las Vegas aces you know would be a great name so that might be too close to the original name so it might maybe be. <laughs> Vegas Jokers yeah I don't think hearts clubs clubs work, might work well one thing I really wanted to say is I I don't fully know or understand all the backstory of what led to this situation to get this way in Oakland but it is something I am going to read about and revisit with uh, the show in the in the near future because this story is not going to go away. No, but I will mention one little thing. The MLB commissioner, yeah, in 2021, he was concerned that A's were taking so long with building a stadium in Oakland, and he said, if that's not going to happen, you might as well start looking outside Oakland. Yes. So whether that was the politicians holding the line. Or not speeding things up for the stadium being built in Oakland, or there was just no urgency because they didn't want to stay in Oakland. There's a lot of feelings on this. I read an article on ESPN about this this morning where they they got quotes from Oakland's mayor Shang Tao T H A O. Uh, he is sort of spinning a different story than Manfred and you know the athletics ownership group where he said we were so close we secured 1 billion for outside infrastructure and i truly believe the city of oakland was being leveraged in the move to go to las vegas that's why i said no more no more it started to feel a little bit abusive in that sense and that's why we walked away so he's claiming that there was like plans to build a new stadium in Oakland and that the decision had already been made by sort of the Oakland management group that they didn't want to stay in the city and they, they just didn't get out the wow deal I guess that like hoping for and they weren't they weren't feeling the reciprocation and the love from Oakland in the same way that I think you know they, they, they their minds were made up yeah I think right now we're gonna get into the uh, finger pointing game if this is going to go through. Yeah. It's just kind of all ironic that this is all happening at the same time yep. where you have like all of a sudden the athletics are just playing ridiculously out of their mind and that the fans show up in droves last night and now they win seven in a row. What what happens if they keep winning? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm curious like what the contract says. And I, I only remember this from the movie Major League. So if you're not familiar with the plot of the movie Major League, the plot involves the fact that the owner of the team, the Cleveland Indians, dies and his young wife inherits the team and she wants to move the team to Miami. The only way she can do that is by invoking a contract clause with the city of Cleveland. This is what I don't know. Does every Major League team have their own contract with the city that is unique? Like I would the, say yes. The Pirates have a unique deal with Pittsburgh. Do the Cubs and White Sox each have different arrangements with the city of Chicago? I would say yes. Do the yes. Yankees and Mets have different arrangements with New York? Mm -hmm. You know, is it neighborhood bureaus at that point? Because there's so much local Chicago government needed. You know, every neighborhood has its own governing body, for gosh sakes, you know, with aldermen and stuff. So I'm not getting into all this. My, my point is, in order for them to move the team in that movie, they had to have attendance fall below a certain number 
And so her plan was to put a team so awful together that attendance dipped below the number needed to keep the team in Cleveland, and then she would have free reign to move the team to Miami. So if you don't know, that's the plot of the movie Major League. And some of that feels familiar with this with Oakland this season. They're drawing terribly. They've had less than 4,000 fans at some of their games. You know, that's not good. So like you said earlier, I think this is a little too little too late with the city of Oakland, unfortunately. And like I said, I wish there was a compromise that would be made so that they could sort of keep the athletics name in case they ever wanted to bring a franchise back there again with a new ownership group and a new stadium somewhere. Like, it would be nice if they were able to have that option. I just don't know if they're going to be able to in this case. I don't know if the owner is going to give up that name. The Athletics name is probably worth a lot of money in baseball because it's an old team. Philadelphia Athletics, long before the Oakland Athletics. Same franchise. Same so. franchise, and the name moved with them. Yeah, so. so that name is probably worth something to that ownership group. Yeah, um, that club originated in 1901. Well, there is a lot of layers to this story, and we're going to be talking probably more about it. There's a lot of interesting things going on in the Nevada legislature alone with this stadium deal and the promises that are being made. And uh, there's a lot of people that think unrealistic promises are being made to the city of Las Vegas and their taxpayers. So we're going to get into that on another episode for you guys. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, like, really? Overblown promises and you're not getting anything? That sounds like well, every city and every politician. Like I said, there's a lot of layers to this and there's a lot of things being pointed out. Like, the biggest thing is, like, as this happened yesterday, as this protest happened, the legislation in Nevada actually cleared its first hurdle for actually building this stadium on the Las Vegas Strip. But the language in this legislation says that the ownership group is promising 90% capacity for all 81 of their home games. And nobody does 90% capacity for their home games. So the fact that they're selling a local or they're selling the, the state government on this promise that seems on the outside looking in to be just unachievable because nobody does it. Even the best teams in the league with attendance, the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Red Sox, like... The most loyal fan bases don't draw 90% every night. So how are they selling this legislation to Nevada? More questions now. So what sucks or what feels like is going to wind up happening is that the residents of the state of Nevada are going to be on the hook for this stadium. Oh, they're going to foot the bill for sure. Nobody's going to say that into their faces, but that's what's going to happen. That's how things work. It's Um, unfortunate. We'll see what happens, but that is an article on Deadspin. If you're interested in reading it, it was published this morning, actually. The subheadline: team promises 90% capacity for 81 games, which even Dodgers, Yankees, and Cardinals don't get. It's an interesting take, for sure. Anyways, all right. Well, there's one little funny story left to mention with the A's that we found, and it has to do with a story that we mentioned previously on the podcast involving a hotel in Milwaukee called the Feister Hotel. And what makes this hotel unique is that it is has a huge history of ghost stories and MLB players. Going back to uh, Bryce Harper, some of the more, there's been a lot of famous like incidents that have happened throughout the history and we documented them all on our previous episode but uh the latest one was Mookie Betts I think that's when the yeah it was story Mookie came Betts in. uh when the Dodgers played in Milwaukee mm-hmm. earlier this year he got an Airbnb because the last time they had stayed at the Feister Hotel he didn't have a specific experience <laughs> but he heard noises in the night and he couldn't sleep he said 
Yeah, they there's a lot of ghost stories associated with that hotel. And- yeah, uh, it got back in the news this week because on June 9th, last weekend, when the Brewers were staying, or I'm sorry, when the Athletics were staying in Milwaukee, Brent Rooker took to Twitter, Athletics player, and he was like, he... Well, I'll just read you the tweet. He said, we're at the notoriously haunted Feister Hotel in Milwaukee, but the only thing the ghosts are doing to me is randomly turning off or on or changing the channel on my TV, which all in all doesn't seem too bad, so I'm okay with it. Um, and then he, he tweeted again, I'm more than happy to let them choose the channel as long as they're cool otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> so, um sounded like a pretty level-headed guy when it comes to paranormal. Yeah, it just sounded like he was living in harmony with his ghosts in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, but other people haven't been so lucky. Uh, as we mentioned, Bryce Harper woke up and found his clothes all spread apart in the room. And the table moved, and which is th- uh, bizarre. That messed with me too much. It makes yeah. me think that there's something more going on to this story. I think maybe somebody made a prank. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe there's like this legend that like people feel like they have to like make live. it live up to yeah maybe okay um or ghost sightings in milwaukee everybody uh go check out brent rooker's tweets and if you have any stories about the feister hotel in milwaukee we'd love to hear them and we'd love to share them with our or listeners all right we've been very long-winded today so uh i think we're gonna put a bow on this week's ep- or on this wednesday episode but before we get out of here just want to remind everyone to please go ahead and just want to remind everyone to please go ahead and subscribe and uh, follow our podcast, follow our YouTube channel. You can find us all over social media now if you type in Kanika Baseball. We've really tried to simplify this process for you. So if you're on Rumble, if you're on YouTube, if you're on TikTok, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, just type in Kanika Baseball and you can find us. Please subscribe to our podcast. You can find a lot of information in the description of this episode about how you can donate to our uh, little venture here, how you can, you know, just help us out in general by subscribing and spreading the word about what we're doing. We want to keep this going for you all. I'm going to work on maybe getting us an updated email address in the next few days, Uh, as time permits, of course. So aside from that, if you do want to contact us now, you can email us at kanikadaily at gmail.com. All right, my throat is dry. I've talked way too much. It's time to get out of here. This is Kenny. I'm signing off. And I'm Nika signing off. Have a great rest of the day. Yes. Enjoy the baseball games today, everybody. We got a double dip in Atlanta because they were rained out with they Detroit were. last night. So that's a double dip in Detroit with Atlanta. All right. All right. Adios, everybody. Bye. Bye.